Hey everybody, this is Mark, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Yes, you, the person listening right now, tuning in to episode 13 of the Hard Rock Core podcast, where my guest on this episode is none other than New York hardcore legend, Harley Flanagan of the Cro-Mags. I've always been a fan of the music and that genre, and getting to speak with Harley was an absolute blessing. I'm thankful for that. We talked about quite a few topics. We talked about tape trading. We talked about uh, the most recent album called In the Beginning, which came out last month, Charting. We talked about studio work. Talked about the landmark album Age of Coral. Talked about him starting on drums and playing cowbell. Talked about the shows with the Misfits and calling Glenn Danzig a great guy. Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, a great conversation. I enjoyed my time with Harley very much. He also disclosed that he has about 70 pieces of music ready to go. So you'll hear him talk about it towards the end of the interview here. But they will have a new EP before the end of the year and another new album in 2021. You can always find me online at hardrockcore.net which has links to all of my socials, including Instagram, Twitter, the Spotify playlist, YouTube, and all of the podcast information. And if you find it in your heart, please like, follow, and share the Hard Rock Core podcast. And now, on with the show. Hit it. Again, dude, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. You are a legend. Uh, not in its not just in the New York hardcore sense, but in the music sense. So I appreciate your time immensely. Well, my brother, thank you for that. And, um, it was totally accidental. (laughs) 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 I appreciate that though. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's, it's cool. You know, I've always been a fan of the movement and the thing I, when I first got turned on to hardcore music back in the eighties was through tape trading and somebody had sent me a sick of it all tape. And one side of the cassette had, like a, I think a Sepultura demo, the other side had sick of it all. And then I went down the rabbit hole and found Cro-Mags and AF and Bad Brains and all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, many years later, talking with you is a true treat. So thank you again. Well, man, it's cool to, to uh, meet you after this uh, long journey. Right? You know, I mean, those were, you know, the, the good old days of uh, tape trading and stuff. I mean, music, uh, it's a lot harder to... to, to come by back then as far as like the underground. You know? Absolutely. It's kind of amazing that, you know, that this genre um, survived and, uh, and flourished, you know? Even now you're having, it seems like a greater level of recognition and success, especially with the way that in the beginning charted a couple weeks ago. You know, that was a total surprise to me, man. You know, um, I, again, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I play music because because it, it's what I enjoy. I definitely, you know, I never thought about the success or, or the pursuit of, uh, you know, success. So to, to, to go and chart after not having put out a record in, you know, a long time, it was pretty impressive. I mean, it was not like, it wasn't what I set out to do. I mean, I'm, I'm glad people like it, you know. I just wanted to make a good record. Yeah. Well, how long were you sitting on this music considering it had been 20 years with this, was this stuff that was just sitting around or was it stuff that was written recently? 
writing. I'm always writing. Um, most of the stuff on the album was written in the studio. Uh, I went into the studio with like five songs written and, and about 24 or 25 loose ideas, you know, just like riffs and ideas that I hadn't really completely, uh, you know, solidified yet. But, but I, I like to do it that way. I like to go in with uh, a few songs mapped out from beginning to end and then also uh, uh, let things kind of create themselves, you know, because that way you get a really spontaneous, exciting, explosive stuff, you know, at, at, mixed in with stuff that's very planned out, you know. I agree. And that, that spontaneous, I was talking with a, a drummer a couple of weeks ago who does a lot of session work. And he says he doesn't like to hear the songs until maybe once or twice when he enters the studio. So he keeps that magic feel to it. That's pretty interesting. You know, I, I hear you, you know, I mean, I, I, I find that sometimes when you play the song too many times and practice and you work on it too much, it, fine, you, you get better, you get tighter, but very often it loses that initial fire you know, of when you're, when you're coming up with the riff, sometimes even the little mistakes that you make wind up being like perfect. So that's why I always try to leave room for some freestyle creativity in the studio because you just never know what the hell you're going to get. You know, I, I was recording a few months back before everything happened and I had rehearsed the parts a lot with the guys I was playing with and I went in and I played drums and I felt sterile and one of like the most heaviest songs. And I said, I don't, it doesn't feel natural and have the vibe. And I want the vibe in there. I hear you. It's weird. It's a real uh, fine line. You know, that's one of the things that I, that I always loved and appreciated about, you know, the old jazz artists was just that, you know, hit or miss mentality. Like tape is rolling. You better nail it. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, you know, it puts the pressure on, but it's also, uh, you know, you get some real magic like that. I mean, one of my favorite things is like that one little flat piano note in uh, My Favorite Things by Coltrane. It's just like that one mistake is so beautiful. It's so perfect. Like, I always wait for it to come up and I hear it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so it's like, it just brings, it just takes this thing that's so flawless and perfect and just gives it a little bit of humanity yes yes <laughs> you know? music needs that it's become very and i respect all forms but a lot of the stuff that comes out now is sterile and cut and paste and yeah. you can feel it you don't yeah. hear those slight yeah. dynamics it really has become a, a cut and paste world and i mean you know it does make things easier and it, it you know as long as you don't as long as you don't allow that to sterilize your creative process, it can right. actually, it can actually be useful, you know, a useful tool. You know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been recording recently, even this last album, you know, there was only about four or five, five maybe songs or six songs that we recorded as a group. The rest were just me and the drummer playing and then adding the tracks afterwards i mean that was you know there was a, a lot of reasons for that it wasn't the intention but just due to circumstances and uh and it wound up coming out really good i was you know i i, I was happy with it you know but i've done that on on several records you know in fact i think the only record that i rec 
recorded the entire band playing together at the same time, you know, it was like Age of Quarrel, you know, and uh, then we, then John redid the vocals. Gotcha. But, uh, that, you know, but we went and recorded that in the same room all at the same time. And, you know, that's why there's a certain amount of magic on that record, even like despite the, I think the, the terrible production of it. And, you know, I made, a, I, I made a lot of mistakes and stuff. There was a lot of, you know, whatever things that I thought fell short, but nonetheless, there was a, a spontaneous, spontaneous magic. Absolutely. Mackie ever played that good again in his life. I think that was one of those just one of those dynamic performances, you know. Definitely, it's definitely a landmark album. And and thinking back to, you know, you share a lot of, of things from your past through your social media and Instagram. You show you playing drums, playing bass, you know, hanging out in that New York scene, which was ever so critical in the late seventies and early eighties. When you first started playing, was it? Did you start as a drummer? Yeah, I'm. A, I, I'm originally a drummer, a percussionist. I was in uh, in my school band when I was young in the in the seventies, and uh, and uh, it was it, it was a very unorthodox uh, school band because it was like a it was kind of a. This was in Europe. This was in Scandinavia. Okay. okay. Yeah. And it was called, it was literally called the free school. And it was like, you know, all the staff were like pretty much hippies. And it was like very, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to put it. It was, it was not a typical school. I mean, they really, they focused a lot on art and music and stuff like that. And um, that's really where I, I, started really pursuing music. You know, I, I was in the school band and I was, I was a percussionist. I, and we, we still all switch instruments and then try to get a feel for everything. And, and, uh, one of the early lessons for me that really just stuck out forever was like, you know, I was loving playing drums, but we used to, they make you play a different instrument all the time. And one day I was handed the cowbell. And it was kind of like, like I looked at the cowbell and the drumstick and it was just like, okay, like, you know, great fucking cowbell, you know, <laughs> but then like my teacher was like, man, you know, you got to rock that thing, man. You got to like learn how to have fun with that cowbell. You got to like make that cowbell just like badass. Like you, you got to like have so much fun playing that cowbell and just, rocking out and when I figured that out that you could have fun like so just just by enjoying the music and right. just like playing the hell out of that cowbell and it was like a, uh, my whole world kind of changed right then well, I think it kind of has to because I, I had a, a music teacher in high school who um, I remember first day of class he put on a Jimi Hendrix record and said, I want you guys to listen to this. And we're like, okay, we're listening to um, Purple Haze on day one of music class in high school. He wanted us to absorb, you know, the, the vibe and said, you know, you, you need to take that approach into the music and not understand that everything is has to be classically trained, but you can do all sorts of music and enjoy it and play it. And make it beautiful. Yeah. You know? Hendrix was, you know, the king of hitting 
ridiculous notes mm. that were totally off and making them right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, you know, again, that, that school band, I got to say, was so fucking cool because we were, you know, we, I remember we were doing like cool in the gang covers, like, uh, wow. you know, funk pop and shit like that. And I, I, you know, we were playing reggae and like all kinds of really cool stuff. And, you know, um, my, uh, my music teacher, this guy, Ed Jones, this other guy, life, Felk and uh, you know Ed was from the Bronx. He was a jazz drummer, jazz bassist, and uh, yeah, man, those guys. Thank God for them, man. They uh, they gave me the gift. I mean, they what what it is is they saw it in me. They recognized that I was geared more towards music than I was towards math or right. <laughs> they saw it and they encouraged it, whereas a lot of schools might have squashed it and been like, you know, you have to focus on things that are going to actually get you somewhere in life, you know? And, uh, they didn't have that approach. They were like, you know, if this is what you love, you know, go with it, man. You know? And that's missing in today's schools that a lot of the arts have been cut, which sadly. Oh, man. Absolutely. You know, I, I actually had this conversation not that long ago ago. My cellist, <laughs> my cellist uh, <laughs> who ever thought pro mag would be talking about his cellist but my, my uh lamont um carlos cooper he um he learned how to play back then when they had music programs in schools in the public schools and that's why he's like classically trained and stuff but you know who would have guessed because i mean this dude you know i mean he's you know he's totally as hood as you can get. I mean, he's got, you know, tattoos on his face and like, you know, braids. And, um, I mean, the dude was a gangbanger for like a lot of years. I mean, music is, has, is like saving him now. Right. Like, uh, I mean, this guy, like, you know, he did a lot of years in prison, been shot many times, did a lot of crazy stuff in his life. And, and now he's back to, uh, you know, trying to, you know, save himself through music. You know, I heard him playing in the subway, and that's how I roped him into playing on the song Between Wars. And I and he had nice. actually never been in a recording studio before, you know, so it was like really a, a cool, just a really bonding moment, you know, two old school New York heads who had just been through hell and back, you know, and what brought us together is just like music. Last okay. year, got to do some shows with the Misfits. And, yeah. you know, going from, you know, playing the clubs to playing, what was it like playing arenas like that? Uh, well, first of all, let me just say that those guys are actually dudes that I've known since the Max's Kansas City days. Like, nice. I've known Glenn and Jerry and, you know, I've known them since I was like 11 or, or something like that, you know. And um, so for me, that was just... Uh, it was amazing, you know, because I mean, I remember seeing those guys playing in front of like, you know, 50 to a hundred people. And then to see just that full circle and how, what, what they achieved. It's like, it was kind of like mind boggling, like, wow, you know, who ever, ever could have ever dreamed that uh, a punk rock event, a punk gig could pull like, 30,000 people. Crazy. 
it just blew my fucking mind. And I was so, I mean, I, I, it feels weird to say it because they're like elders, you know, they're older than me, but I was so proud of them. Right. I was so, it was just like, I was so happy for them. And I was so honored to have been invited to play those shows with them. The fact that Glenn reached out to me personally and asked me if I wanted nice. to do the show, it meant, uh, it meant more to me than I can put into words. You know, it was really, I was really honored and proud of that. And those shows were so much fun, man. I can honestly say that every band really brought their A game to every show that I, I, I did five gigs with them and, you know, with everybody from the damned to, uh, you know, the, the, the distillers and, uh, suicidal tendencies, you know, a bunch of different bands at the different shows and stuff. And, and I got to say that every, every show was great. The, the, the vibe, you know, the audience had fun. The, the vibe backstage was great. Everybody had a fun time, you know, playing. It was just, you know, whatever drama and shitty ever didn't exist that night, you know? And that's awesome. So, that's awesome. It was like, to me, it was like what a, what a punk rock gig is supposed to be like, like a good fucking time had by all. And it was just wild that it was on such a huge platform and, and so, uh, so organized. And so, right. you, know, <laughs> so like, you know, everything backstage is like, wow, professional. It's like, it's, <laughs> no, it might as well have been like a, you know, a fucking Bon Jovi show or some shit. Except- <laughs> Like, you know, it was the Misfits and I'm like hanging out with Billy Idol and fucking Julia Lewis and all these fucking people. And it's just like, this is fucking great. I'm hanging out with you know, leaving who I hadn't seen in a gazillion years, you know, and just like a lot of old friends. It was like uh, some kind of strange reunion. It was like a high school reunion with like 30,000 guests. That's outrageous. Now, a buddy of mine... I don't know if you want to call it the security for them or security for Doyle, uh, but he, he did those shows. You may know him, a guy named Jason, Big J, big guy. Yeah, big dude, black yeah. hair. No, yeah, no, it's yeah. red. He's got a son. This thing is make 10-year-old son. Okay, yeah, okay. Right. He, he was yeah, out yeah. with them. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was great, man. He'll tell you. Just, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a really good time. Those guys, were, I mean, you could say whatever the hell they want, man. I got nothing but love and respect for those guys. And, and Glenn is, you know, one of the, one of the coolest people I know, man. You know, he's, he's real. He's, there's no bullshit about him. You know, he doesn't have, right. he doesn't, he doesn't need to. None. He don't, you know, and, and honestly, you know, people, you know, people shit on him a lot, man. And, I, and I'll tell you that dude, you know, back in the day, he was one of the most gracious uh, guys in a band out there, you know, like he would take pictures with every fan, sign everything, hang out, you know, he would be, you know, making the merchandise himself. And, you know, it was so DIY. Those guys were like the kings of DIY. Absolutely. Themselves. I mean, you know, granted they, you know, came from Jersey and had a little bit more money than, you know, me and my friends and stuff like that, but they really did it themselves, man. They did it all. And, 
you know, I think Glenn probably just got tired of all the fake motherfuckers out there and, and all the ass kissing fake fucks that just, you know, will, will, you know, suck your dick one second and then stab you in the back as soon as you turn around. You know, I mean, I know from my own experiences, you know, I fucking hate most people, you know, just because of what I've seen and experienced and the treachery and the bullshit. So you can only imagine what, it, what it's like for him, you know. Well, I think I people fucking, people right. sometimes want the, they don't want the truth. And if he gives you the truth, what what's the saying? You take the uh, sting of the truth over the burn of the lie, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and it, that, that's one of my problems is that, you know, I don't bullshit, you know, and sometimes, you know, people love that about me until it conflicts with something that they think or believe, you know. Um, yeah, you know, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's one of the things I really respect about Glenn, you know, that and of course is, you know, his, his you know, his mu- music, you know, he's got a great voice. He's a talented songwriter. I mean, he wrote most of all those songs. Nothing but respect, you know. So, so even even switching gears here, what led led you to jujitsu and practicing that? I've been involved with jujitsu now since ninety. I started training in ninety six, like January, February ninety six. I've been doing it a long time. Um, I just got into it because, um, you know, I stumbled across UFC one and two in uh, in a blockbuster. You know, renting uh, videos. You know, I was like, uh, I looked at the box. I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, I mean, right. I'm like, this is like real fighting, but it's like, I'm like, I was like, what is this? some like WWE shit, which I always hated. And I, but you know, I was like, what is this? But it looked real, you know, from the pictures on the box. So I rented it, and I was like, whoa, man, this is fucking nuts, you know. And you know, someone, you know, for someone who's been in, you know good amount of fights in my life I was I was really blown away I'd never seen things like arm bars and you know triangle chokes and all these wonderful techniques you know right. I was like wow you know, if I ever have the, uh, the chance to learn from one of these guys I'm gonna jump on it so you know and about a year and a half or so goes by and, um, you know, and I'm still looking through all the Kung Fu karate magazines every day, trying to find is there a Gracie or somebody I was looking into judo. I was looking into jujitsu. I was just wanted to learn some kind of grappling. The goal was to find a Gracie, but I was like, I'll do anything until I can get involved in that. And then, um, Henzo moved to New York and I was lucky enough to, uh, be one of his early students. I, I, there's, he probably had like a, a dozen or less students back then. And I remember, you know, in the early days, I, I remember when, uh, you know, Matt Sarah and his brother Nick and uh, John Danaher and all those guys, I remember when they all first started training, you know, I was part of that early, early generation. I used to go to all the fights and, you know, I used to fight in the underground uh, combat league and stuff here in the city and, you know, Frankie Edgars came up there. That's where he used to fight before he got signed. So, I mean, there was, there was an underground fight here in New York. I mean, I used to go see Matt Sarah fighting at the Copacabana and stuff back in the day before it was, uh, they used to have to bill it as like freestyle, uh, exhibition match, uh, grappling, whatever, because they couldn't bill it as MMA. So like they would sneak matches on to like, Muay Thai events, there'd be like three or four Muay Thai fights, and then there'd be 
you know, to freestyle exhibition matches. Oh, wow. Whatever they would call them, you know, like it was, and, but it was MMA. That's wild. And, That's absolutely yeah. wild. And you mentioned John Danaher. Was he th- that much of a technician when he was learning, when you were rolling with him back then? Um, he was always just, you know, he's a really, uh, really intelligent guy. Yeah. I mean, so like he, you know, even in those early days, it was like you could always just see the, the wheels turning in his head. <laughs> you know, he'd be watching, you know, and just like really picking stuff apart. I mean, those days were awesome, dude. Man, I mean, I was there for a lot of those uh, matches where Henzo and his brother Hyan were going like bananas. You know, uh, it was just something to watch, and like you couldn't. And you couldn't pay to see what I saw in those in that academy back then. It was just incredible, and it was such a closed door environment. Like you know, someone walk in the door, and like everybody kind of stopped doing what they were doing, and like look at who walked in. Like, oh, wow. yeah, you know, like are you one of us? Are you spying? Or are you from a different camp? Like, who are you? Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild, like, man. I just. More, it was way more gangster back then. Oh, I bet. Because, yeah, because when all that started to blow up, you know, all of a sudden people were like, what is this in America anyways? Like, what's this jujitsu stuff? What's yeah, going exactly. on? So you really, it was like guarded secrets type shit. That's insane, man. Do you still watch fights today? I do, but not as obsessively, you know, because, I mean, I've seen, you know, thousands at this point. I mean, I more often I will tune in to watch fighters that I'm a fan of more than just watching all the time. You know, it's like, I mean, after you've seen, you know, thousand fights, it's like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not as exciting to me as it was. I, I enjoyed it more when it was like the early days of the sport and it was kind of like styles versus styles. Right. I think, I think now it's become more of a sport in the sense of it's really up to the athleticism of the individual athlete because everybody more or less has the same, has access to the same toolbox. Right. You know, right. Like everybody can learn jujitsu. Everybody can learn wrestling. Everybody can learn some Muay Thai and some boxing. So it's a much more, uh, it's way more balanced. You know, you, there's weight classes. Right. You know? Right. Back when I was fighting, you know, there was, Gloves were optional, right? And when I fight, you know, and um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the UCL was rough, man. I mean, I I was enjoying it, I was into it, it was fun. But then I remember a couple fights that I saw dudes just get like just fucking destroyed, and like there was no real like medical uh, team there. You know, it was like totally underground. You know, right. they didn't have like. They didn't even have fucking towels, you know, in the shower and sh- like, you know, it was like, you know, at boxing gyms and at, so it's like, I saw one dude get just like, one. it, was, it looked like one of those old school Tank Abbott, like destructions, like where like, like he just like, oh yeah, just like mangled. He looked, I mean, I just remember looking at him and being like, how the fuck is he going to get home tonight? Like, I hope he has some friends with him because this motherfucker falls asleep on the train. He may not wake up. Wow, <laughs> man, that's intense. 
Yeah, and that's when I was like, you know, maybe this ain't the best idea because it's like I'm going and fighting for fun and like dropping my kids off for school the next day with like black eyes and shit like this. And it's like, what the <laughs> you know, God, I, you know, went to a club, and, you know, had a fight last night, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, yeah. Anyway, Those it was fun. Man. Good times, man. Good times. So, yeah. what's what's next? I mean, obviously, this year is is beyond anything we could have ever imagined. But what are you looking at for 2021? Are we looking at any potential shows, getting on the road, overseas? Busy as shit, man. And I'm actually, I I haven't missed a beat. You know, this quarantine thing has actually been good for me. Um, I have written, like, almost 70 pieces of music. Wow. Uh, I'm actually, I've been in the recording studio for the past almost, like, month or so maybe five weeks I've been in and out of the studio. Um, Steve Zing from uh, Danzig has been um, engineering and um, Arthur Rizik is going to be working with me again in production. I think we've recorded about probably like a dozen songs so far. I'm not, they're not done, but uh, you know, the drum tracks and this and that. And uh, I'm just going to keep, I'm tracking and tracking and tracking uh, as much as I possibly can writing as much music as I can. And um, I, I should have another EP out by the end of this year. And I will definitely have well over an album recorded and written for next year. So uh, between that and uh, all the festivals that we had to cancel this summer have all been rescheduled for next year. So I know I have a bunch of festivals coming up in Europe. Um, I will be going to Japan. I will be going to Russia for the first time. Why not? Nice. Um, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of shows in the UK and in Ireland and Scotland, England. Uh, and we're now starting to book some US stuff. So, uh, I mean, the good news is that I won't need to take any time off to record an, uh, an album next year because we'll already have done. one. So next year, we'll be playing some of the new songs from in the beginning as well as some brand new material, you know, we'll probably do like most of the new album, like if not all of it and some new, new songs. Nice. I think the new songs are really coming out awesome. You know, I'm really kind of just taking off where I left off with the last record. I'm like, you know, just, just pursuing that, that direction. You know, I'm on a, I'm on a mission to, to just try to create the best, music I can, you know, like not just the hardest, but the most, um, explosive and experimental, you know, like I, I, I'm not allowing myself to be, uh, boxed in by the, uh, the genre. Right. I mean, God bless bands who have a formula and they figure out what works and they stick to it. But me, you know, as a musician, man, I, I got to keep stretching. I guess keep stretching my boundaries. Hopefully I'll keep taking the fans with me, you know? Well, that that's key. I think as, as a performer musician, I play multi instruments like you, you've got to move forward and if you keep only so many bands can, you know, ACDC could do the same album over and over again, motorhead, the Ramones after that, it, it, it doesn't work for most people. It really just kind of gets played out yeah. to me. You know, I mean, there's something, really special about, although they were total fucking thieves, um, 
something really special about bands like Led Zeppelin, you know, or Pink Floyd, or, you know, bands that are not afraid to take chances and do things on a record that they never tried before. You know, I think it's really cool, you know, to, to be willing to take chances. Of course, you know, you want to try, you want to keep some consistent consistency for the fans' sake. You know, I, I mean, I, I I feel like I'm finally finding a balance. The formula that I have, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but I'm always trying to stretch my boundaries and, and incorporate new shit into the recipe well the album hits it hits hard there's dynamics to it you've got an instrumental going on on the album just the opening groove i think from the first track sets the tone for the whole thing and it feels good it feels natural and i, I can't wait to see what you have next well you know what i'm really happy that um uh, that it hit you that way and um i think if you liked this record, I, I think you will enjoy the direction that we're going in. I mean, it's really the same direction, just uh, we're going a little further. Nice. Appreciate your time today. I don't want to take too much of it, but absolutely appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Likewise. Very cool. I appreciate that. Awesome, Harley. Thanks for your time, man. Stay safe with the family out there. Right on, man. You too, brother. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other in uh, real person to person sometime next year when we're out on the road. I hope so, man. Thanks for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. And that was my conversation with Harley Flanagan from the legendary Cro-Mags. Thank you for joining me on episode 13 of the Hard Rock Core podcast. You can find me online at hardrockcore.net, which has links to all of the socials, and I hope you can connect with me there as well. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you again. If you like what you've heard, please like the podcast, follow it, and share it with a friend. Stay safe. Stay true. Tell your family and friends you love them. Give them a hug. Thank you, and have an awesome day.